It's Wednesday, January 26, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the Futures Lab studio at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my colleagues, Kathy Kiley and Ernest Perry. On our program this week, a big change on the horizon for mid-Missouri radio listeners. We see this, water main breaks. A car strikes a West Virginia reporter while she's live on TV. There's so much to talk about here. What happened on the air, why it happened, and what newsroom leaders should be doing to try to keep it from happening again. And... I'm so nervous. So uh, hundreds of thousands around the planet. The kick is good. It's going to overtime. He's nervous. Who wasn't nervous? We're going to talk about those 13 seconds and why football writers across the country are calling this past weekend the best for the NFL ever. There's a lot more that hopefully we'll get to before our half hour is up today, but we're going to start with a tip of the hat to one of our peers over on the AM dial. Last Wednesday, KFRU listeners heard this toward the end of Columbia Morning. I'm not going to draw this out very much, but I'm announcing today that I'm going to retire. And uh, I'm going to retire from doing this program Mm -hmm. on KFRU Mm -hmm. a month from yesterday so it'll be february the 18th which is a friday it is a friday and so that is going to be the day that i will step away from doing this show there period end of program all right good talk (laughs) all right (laughs) so Ernest, i had mentioned you because you were just kind of walking the halls last wednesday and i said hey we have something we need to talk about next week you're never going to believe this david lyle's retiring and you and i immediately started doing the math he has been a part of the the radio landscape in this city for as long as you and i I both could remember. Absolutely. I mean, I just remember him when I first came here in 1993 as a graduate student Mm -hmm. and an instructor over in the Missourian and trying to figure out what this town was. And one of the people that I could always count on on the air was David Lyle and then KFRU. And and just to imagine what's going to happen in about a month when people wake up and don't hear him. Uh, that's going to be almost surreal. Well, and I'll, I'll say, when I was a student here as an undergrad in 97, 98, when I started working out at KOMU, he was the voice that came out of my alarm clock, except for the mornings I was there very, very early, and then it was Art Bell, and that was some weird stuff. But on the days when I woke up later in the morning, I will tell you the thing that like I was waiting for and viewed as success was if I knew the answer to the quickie quiz. Yes. You know, yes. like there's so many parts of the programs that he's done here that have become a part of our morning and our local cultural landscape. One of the things that, Kathy, I know that I have most appreciated is the um, every Tuesday morning, we know that he is going to have on, okay, I shouldn't say every Tuesday morning, on the first, third, and second Tuesday mornings of the month, either the mayor, member of the city council, member of the school board, superintendent, really giving people an understanding of what happened in those government bodies meetings the night before, Answer, asking hard questions, putting local newsmakers on the spot. That's going to be a void, I think, that we're going to have in our local media landscape, that, that venue or that forum for civic discourse. 
Yeah, it's really a civics lesson. And I think um, David Lyle is one of the most modest people I've ever met. He insists he's not a journalist. Of course he's a journalist. He's um, fulfilled a really important role in this community. Um, But I think the type of thing you're describing, Amy, is um, the the kind of civics education Mm -hmm. that journalism at its best provides for a community. And a personality like his, I think is really valuable in a community because it knits the community together. I mean, one of his many uh, accomplishments, he was one of the uh, seminal forces behind OneRead. Um, It was his suggestion that led to what is now a community institution. And I think it points to a type of journalism that's really, uh, we really need to get back to, which is a journalist who is openly part of the community, rooting for the community, wants the community to do better. And particularly on radio, um, as local radio stations have become more and more syndicated products where uh, you turn on the dial and you're hearing somebody from Dallas or New York, but not somebody local, I think it really deprives the community of the knowledge that you talked about, but also the sense that it's your neighbor talking to you. And we really need to get back to that. Yeah, that's we do need to have that. I mean, as, as radio moves more toward satellite radio and you have podcasts and that sort of thing, having that sort of local voice there that can bring uh, newsmakers on. And one of the things about, about David being on for so long is that he, he had the pulse of the community. So when he asked questions of the mayor, of the school superintendent, of, of the various uh, governmental uh, people who came in, uh, he knew his stuff and they knew. He knew his stuff. He knew his stuff. <laughs> and so they couldn't get anything over on him. And he always got to the question that people were asking in their individual conversations over coffee or as they were walking through the grocery store or something like that, not the kinds of questions that maybe reporters would ask uh, in in a press conference or something like that. He was asking the questions that ordinary citizens would ask if they were stopping the mayor in the grocery store. And And that's important. And doing so in a way as you talk about, you know, ordinary journalists in a news conference setting, you know, there's a soundbite. There's a quote. It isn't that give and take, that back and forth that brings a lot of that context, Ernest, right. that you're often talking about how we need to have that in our news coverage. Those conversations brought tremendous levels of context. Right. Yeah, and, and it wasn't it, partisan. That was the other thing yeah. that I think, you know, and, and, and most people would know that, you know, KFRU... Later in the day, it's quite partisan. It's quite partisan, but you could always count on David Lyle having uh, a show that didn't sort of bring all of that in. It was actually dealing with the... The, the, the sort of meat and potato kind of things that people sit out and talk well, about. Well, and I think that's why um, having a local voice is so important because the way to sort of the antidote to the polarization that you're talking about, Ernest, is is focusing on issues where people can agree. And, um, and community issues are a lot harder to caricature and polarize in the way that national issues have been caricatured and polarized. So I think having uh, somebody with his temperament and personality in that role it's you know it's the journalistic equivalent of slow cooking Mm -hmm. it's just a a a conversation as you said Amy rather than 
uh, a gotcha, a soundbite. And, and there's that is such an important thing that, that we as journalists need to value and try to preserve. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that was Wednesday. Thursday morning, I woke up to see a bunch of lively discussions already taking shape around this video. And now we're starting to experience, unfortunately, in freeze thaw, we see this, water main breaks. hit by a car, but I'm okay. I just got hit by a car, but I'm well, okay, Tim. That's first for um, you on okay. TV, Jory. Woo! We're all good. Are you okay? I'm okay. Yeah, you know, that's live TV for you. It's all good. I actually got hit by a car in college, too, just like that. Wow. I am so glad I'm okay. Yeah. You're okay. You're okay. We're all good. This is, uh, oh, you know what? It's, uh, one sure woman you're band. Okay, We're good, Tim. Ma'am, you, sure okay? you are so sweet, and you are okay. It is all good. You know, I, <laughs> oh Lord. So you. You know, it's my last week on the job and I think this would happen. So we should say that reporter did go to the ER. A doctor checked her out and she pretty much is okay. But there are so many buts, so many why didn'ts. Kathy, you saw the rant that I put on Facebook that started out with why is she alone out there at night at 11 o'clock when they know the weather is bad? It's a, uh, the biggest well, safety Well, we know why that, that is. Be. It's money. Well, it is. <laughs> and, and that what we call the MMJ, the multimedia journalist model, is quite popular in television stations, especially at those in smaller markets. Um, MMJ has been the new term used in place of one man band. So somebody mm -hmm. might be able to envision that idea of the one man band, one person doing everything themselves. But that business model comes at a safety risk. A yeah. huge safety yeah, risk. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's you know when when you see something like, and that's what I knew. That's happened before, and it's probably going to happen today at a station somewhere in I the United States. I hope it doesn't. But you know, the the it goes back to what Kathy's talking about, which is you know when uh, I started out in college doing television, and when you went and when when the reporters went out, you had a cameraman with you. Well, now that the, the equipment itself has become more compact. They can send reporters out without a cameraman and they can set it up and everything and, and push a button while they're standing there and, 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 and then you're on the air and you're going and you're going live. But in situations like that yeah. or in a situation where you know it's, it's late at night, it, it, you're probably not in a very safe neighborhood, anything could happen and it all revolves back to a one-man band, means you don't have to hire a camera. Well, so that was the first point that I made in this rant on Facebook. Right. The idea that she should not have been out there alone. There should have at least been a two-person crew. And I will tell you, the first two people who commented were former photographers who used to work with me when I was an assignment editor. And one of them said, yes, absolutely. The second one said, no, it needs to be a three-person crew. Hmm. This still would have happened, if it was a live shot, it should be a three-person crew. Because if I'm shooting, I am so focused on what's in my viewfinder while the reporter is focused on the anchor and being on the air, a two-person crew still finds themselves in this position. Um, 
further down in that thread and the producer in me, because that is the side that I came up in in TV news. The person who is, you know, kind of making sure the show goes okay, deciding what's going in the show, is in contact with the uh, the reporter in the field in contact with the anchor on the set and also the director, the person who's pushing the buttons and having the cameras. Why didn't the producer dump out of that? You just saw 50 seconds of that clip. It went on for two and a half minutes in what was posted on Twitter. Yes. And, and yeah. for the same, so my point with that is why didn't the producer say to the director, dump out, get to a commercial, take two and a half minutes, get in that reporter's earpiece, like the one that I wear, check up on her, get her off the set, get her off the scene, have everybody regroup. Yeah. No, Instead, right. they left her up there like that. And, and if you need more time to regroup, go to weather. Weather can go on and talk forever. Right. <laughs> and the yeah, audience at home isn't going to notice. You know, it was interesting. Uh, we talked about uh, this clip in one of the classes I was teaching. And uh, one of our students, uh, our students are really the best, uh, uh, brought up, I thought, a really interesting mm -hmm. point that there was something almost prurient about staying on that shot. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it it got so much traction as as the student said had they dumped as you said which they should have you should just say folks uh, we're going to check on the well-being of our reporter mm -hmm. here we'll be right. back um, and then do that um, but had they done that this thing wouldn't have had the viral life that it did okay, and so there's something a little sick about yeah, I was watching say, let's let's talk about the ethics of that for a second so the viral life that it did they brought her on the set again the next day to talk about it, to show everybody she was okay. At that point, they're kind of exploiting this situation. Yes. They're creating a viral video around themselves. And I don't know, that that has a pretty high ick factor. It, At least to me, it does. Exactly. Um, another point that I want to bring up here, and this may be a little bit of the effect of how we all came up in the baby boomer generation, Gen X, like you want it bad enough, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna get it mm -hmm. and do whatever mm -hmm. it takes. Some of those early hot takes on what happened here, including from NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, and RTDNA, the Radio Television Digital News Association, um, were very much encouraging her for bouncing right back, getting right up and getting the job done. Yeah, that's old school. And and that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I mean, it goes back to the days of, of and I, I I'm guilty of it. You know, when people are leaving the hurricane zone, you're going in, as a journalist. You're going into the hurricane zone, and and so that sort of plays into that. Put yourself in danger to get the story, sort of sort of mantra. And she, you know, was thinking, okay, I'm I'm far enough off the road. I can get this story and be okay when in fact she, but I'm close enough to actually be able to pan out and mm -hmm. see and, and describe what it is and visually show people what's going on. She wasn't. And so sometimes that whole idea of being close to the story so that you can really give the audience a, an idea and picture of what's going on, 
means that you're going to find yourself in harm's way. And that's where that sort of mentality of, yes, you were there, you you did it. That's where a lot of that comes from. Well, so, and I thought yeah. you said something on your Facebook post, Amy, that was really uh, absolutely true. Yes, she bounced right back, but she was in shock. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, when that something like that happens, okay. no. yeah, you're going to say you're okay because you think you are, but yeah. you don't know that you are. And, yeah. and I'm so, surprised she was able to get back up and do it and didn't, didn't say anything that was off color. Exactly. No, that's <laughs> Probably the big, the big yeah. award, yeah, because yeah. well, so, that would not have been me. Yeah, so right, as right. we talk about that being old school, because, I mean, that's why I brought it up as, as boomers and as Gen X, like, that is what we were taught and how we did come up. But we are right now at this point that has been coined the great resignation, and people are leaving jobs in journalism, especially in television news, at rates as high, maybe even higher than in other industries, because of some of these things we've been talking about, safety issues, our mental health issues, no, the challenges absolutely. that, this doesn't help that. Well, I mean, you can be proactive. I mean, and, and I think that's where we drop the ball uh, in, 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 most, in most instances mm-hmm. is be proactive. Why put... Why put your people in that kind of in that kind of situation? I mean, did you necessarily have to do that story live? You could have you could have done that story where she went out there, did all of the all of the the, the visual work early and on. And they probably did. And, right. And, you, and and this is where I think sometimes going live for the sake of live puts people in harm's way for no apparent reason. And I and, and you see that a lot in in television, in particular in local television news. You see that a lot and I, I for the life of me can't understand why we do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the one thing I will say about this incident and and uh, just for people who don't know the whole story uh, the reporter involved here, she said it was her last uh, week on the job, but she is going. She's staying in journalism. She's going to a bigger market. Um, but I, So I think uh, there's always going to be some of that. But I, I thought what was impressive is that as soon as this happened, people started to have the kind of conversations you initiated on your Facebook feed, Amy. And uh, certainly here, you know, I was getting messages. We need to talk about this in class. So I think, um, you know, Let's hope that this uh, sparks some conversations. And, you know, NAB, uh, the National Association of Broadcasters, and particularly RTDNA, are really terrific membership organizations. And hopefully they will start to talk to their members about, uh, and not just the reporters, but the managers, right. about the people all the issues that you raised, Arnas. Yeah, yeah. Like, what what is reasonable? And when do you just sort of say, you know, mm, no, not worth it? Yeah. Okay. So masks. Who's wearing them? Who's not? It's something we're all looking at, we're taking in, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, silently judging people around us for whatever their decision is. Well, we're here, three of us, we've been talking about this since we brought the show back. We're vaccinated, we're recording the show for 30 minutes maskless because we have television cameras around as well, but as soon as those are off, the masks come back on. And that's a choice we've all made, the three of us, and agreed to after some conversations. Well, read Nina Totenberg's piece uh, from NPR about Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor working remotely because Justice Neil Gorsuch wouldn't wear a mask. And it seems not every workplace is as cooperative as we are around this table. But maybe Totenberg didn't quite capture the situation accurately or didn't describe it as such. Tell us a little bit more about the story and what Totenberg reported. Well, I mean, you know, she reported, as you just described, that, you know, that that 
Justice uh, Sotomayor dis, uh, was on Zoom during the the, the last session, <laughs> and that she made that decision because uh, Justice Gorsuch wasn't wearing a mask. Uh, and, and Sotomayor is a diabetic. And she's diabetic, exactly. And they, exactly. Sit, next she, and they sit next to each other, so she's immunocompromised. So that's 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 part of the story as well. But then what came out later was that neither she nor the chief justice had asked him, if I'm if I'm reading this mm-hmm. correctly, had requested that he wear a mask or even had a conversation with them about that. So she, at least from what I'm hearing, she made the decision on her own to protect herself and not necessarily bring it before the rest of the justices. So in that reporting, Kathy, does there need to be that clarification that that conversation was never really had or a correction or something that puts that into greater context? Well, the fact because that- Because the fact that that conversation didn't happen was missing yeah. originally. Well, what's interesting is the court actually issued a statement mm-hmm. saying, oh, we're all good here, you know, we're all chums. And, but they never um, really fully addressed the issue. It was kind of a non-denial denial. <laughs> and, um, and I you know, <laughs> I suspect that um, the real story here, and I've seen some accounts that raise this issue, so the point is not original with me, is um, she may not have asked mm-hmm. her colleague not to wear a mask. Uh, the fact that he wasn't wearing a mask was enough to cause her to decide to participate remotely. Um, I think we've all been in those situations where it's like, do I really have to ask? I mean, I can remember back in the day when we were still allowed to smoke in newsrooms, I have asthma and people would smoke in front of me. And I felt, do I really have to ask? Um, And I think, and so I I had a tendency to do the same thing. I would just sort of remove myself from the situation, and I and so I think that's probably what happened here, and um, so. But to me, the bigger issue is this: the fact that she was, you know, she was coming in through Zoom, and he was the only justice that's not the wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that they were listening to a case in, involving that, uh, and the partisan the partisanship and the politicization of mass mandates, vaccine mandates, all of that has led to this story. That's the story, really. Exactly. He made himself, Gorsuch made himself conspicuous by being the only member of the court who did not wear a mask. Right, right. So there's another Supreme Court story that has been developing during the course of the day today. Um, Justice Stephen Breyer announcing that he's going to be retiring now as well. Yeah, and boy, uh, that's going to set up a doozy of a confirmation hearing uh, yeah. that I'm sure we'll be a talking about. A pretty quick about. confirmation yes. hearing, yeah. I'm pretty yes. sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the, this, the initial stories are saying that uh, he may have been influenced by the situation that happened with uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because there was a huge push uh, in President Obama's last term for her to retire so that he could appoint uh, a justice to replace her. She did not. She winds up uh, passing away in office during President Trump's term, which has now led to the uh, the, the shift to the right uh, on the on the uh, Supreme Court. Yeah. So yeah. the other interesting thing is um, all of the things that the Republicans by taking away. Uh, the filibuster on Supreme Court justice nominations 
I don't think they're going to be able to stop a quick turnaround. Clearly, uh, Republicans would like to because they're hoping they'll take the Senate back over right. uh, in the fall elections. But uh, if Biden wants to move fast, I don't see anything that can stop him. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, next Friday, the Winter Olympics are scheduled to open in Beijing, and it is a strange time that we're living in. We all know that. We knew that the U.S. was going to have a diplomatic boycott and not send a delegation of government officials. A few other countries are doing the same in a statement about the treatment of the Uyghur population in the Xinjiang province. Add to that the complications brought on by Omicron. NBC and ESPN are among those tossing out their original Olympic playbook and covering the games from home. This isn't like it's the first time it's going to be happening. MLB did this all last season, didn't yeah. they? Yes. And, and college basketball is doing a lot of that right now. Yeah. So I think this is kind of a new wave. I think, um, well, you know, all of us say you can see it better from sitting at home. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I suspect for anchoring, um, that may be kind of a wave of the future. Uh, why go if you don't have to? I think the value in having reporters on the ground is more the stories that you don't see on the field, uh, the athletes, both the personal stories and then um, just reporting sometimes there's scandals, sometimes there's uh, disputes about uh, judging. So it's important to have reporters there, but I don't know that it's vital to have the anchors there and under the circumstances, uh, and I'm sure why take the risk? Yeah, and I'm sure they'll probably be sending in skeleton crews to do those kinds of exactly. stories. Yeah, and do you think the audience is even paying attention? Uh, I don't know if the would be interesting to see whether or not they are paying attention. Mm -hmm. I know that when MLB was doing it and college basketball is doing, it, you see very little difference unless a controversy arises during the actual event yeah. that that really causes a problem for the for the anchors. Okay, well, people around here are paying attention, and they're paying attention to Chiefs football <laughs> ratings for Sunday night's game were astronomical in the Kansas City market. 90% of all televisions in use during the time of the game were turned tuned in to CBS for this. Mahomes has hit his last eight. Looking to the end zone for the win! He caught it! Ball game! Chiefs to the championship game! These two guys know each other this is just unfathomable. The Bills had won this game. It was over. Josh Allen with a perfect postseason. And Patrick Mahomes somehow comes out there and shows the world, I'm still here. Andy Reid. Welcome to the refs. Oh, my gosh. One of the great games you'll ever see in the history of the NFL. So the game has been called an instant classic and part of the best football weekend ever. Hyperbole on the part of sports writers, or was it? No, it was not hyperbole. This The NFL couldn't have asked for a better weekend. One of the things, that, especially in the Look playoffs, face one of the up. things you don't want to do <laughs> is you don't want to leave the game in the hands of a kicker. And that happened three times. Uh, four times, actually, when you take into account what happened in Kansas walk City. Walk-off win after walk-off walk win. Walk-off win after walk-off yeah. win. A tie goes into overtime. It happened in all four games, and both number one seeds lost. Kansas City was the only home team to, 
to uh, win, and they almost lost. And and it was it was it was spectacular. I mean, it was almost like they were like, okay, we already had the Super Bowl, we're done. You know, well, yeah, that's going to be the hard part. <laughs> yeah. That is going to be the hard part is is living up to that weekend because it built. You know, you had one great game and then another great game and then another great game and then just when you thought they couldn't top this, well, well that. Well. Kansas City Buffalo game. Okay, well, so hold on. There's still the AFC Championship this weekend. We aren't quite at the Super Bowl yet. Right. That's what I'm saying. And it could be very anticlimactic. It could be. It could be. I mean, it, it, the thing that would would really be, I wouldn't say bad for the NFL uh-huh. is that if you had two blowouts this weekend and then you had a blowout in the Super Bowl. Well, and and there's also the change in the NFL schedule this year with the Super Bowl being later too. Right, and Th- there could the, be a loss in momentum. It could be a loss in momentum. You have the Olympics that start before the Super Bowl, so yeah, it's it's uh it's going to be a wild month. Okay. Well, we are pretty much out of time for this week. Thank you for spending the last half hour with us. You can read more about each of the topics we talked about today on our links blog under both the programs and podcast tabs at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcast downloads, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to the program again, leave comments, questions, or see previews of what we'll be talking about next time. Our thanks to RJI's Travis McMillan for directing the show, Aaron Hay for handling the audio, and Tim Pilcher for composing our theme music.